It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me today is Bill Johnson, founder and CEO of SalesView, a sales enablement platform that, if I can quote the website, uses automation and process sophistication to accelerate those critical activities that create and support revenue. So, Bill Johnson, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks a lot, Andy. Glad to be here. Appreciate you taking the time. Oh, God, my pleasure to have you on the show. So, take a minute and introduce yourself to the audience. Maybe tell us how you got your start in sales. Yeah, so um, I'm a career sales guy. I don't mind saying that. I know some nothing people, wrong with that. Yeah, I know some people look at it with some disdain, but I've had a, a tremendously fun career. Enjoyed it. Uh, started selling turnkey point of sale inventory control systems 30 years ago, and then joined a flyer called Parametric Technology in the late '80s, and uh, had a fun rocket ship ride. Rose up through the ranks. Ended up running the central part of the U.S. You know, 180 people working for me, $70 million business, went from a pre-IPO to an $8 billion market cap before that was easy to do. Left there and joined Aprimo as the uh, early VP of sales in a marketing automation space that was just beginning back in 99 and uh, served there for a few years. And then uh, when I wanted to be an entrepreneur, went out on my own and started a marketing services company that was outsourced to uh, demand generation at like 3 million other companies, and uh, we just happened to do it very process-oriented, which caused us to go build SalesView, because we could use an Excel spreadsheet with six employees, we couldn't use an Excel spreadsheet with 20 employees, and now we've got 80 employees that work in that business, and it was the launch pad for building SalesView, which we like to think of as the leading platform for sales process automation. Okay, so a couple things to unpack in there. So first of all is, you built SalesView, the application, before you started the company, to support your own internal requirements. Exactly. Okay. And so that then became the proving ground for it. And then it sounds like you still have that part of your business. We do. It's a separate legal entity. I've got a team that runs it. But the advantage is it's a great Petri dish for SalesView. I mean, as a case in point, uh, in a, it's a, a focus on B2B. Uh, Lead generation, for- right. Yep, lead generation. We logged 4.4 million calls to a million accounts over the past five years. So we've got a ton of data about what works and what doesn't, what industries respond, you know, what functional areas respond. And, and, and sales has been a key uh, differentiator for that business and helping us grow. Okay, so you position SalesView as a, a platform solution versus a point solution. So what do you mean by that? And so the the original product built for lead gen was a pure prospecting automation play, kind of similar to the what SalesLoft is bringing to market with their Cadence product and what Inside Sales provides with their their, their telephony based solution. It, it helped make it easier for a rep to prospect, and we were very focused in terms of six calls, two emails. We put a Cadence together, and it focused on the prospecting effort. Three years ago, we made a pivot and decided to rewrite that whole application inside of the Salesforce.com ecosystem, and we went. now we look at the whole sales cycle from prospecting to demo, demo to opportunity management, opportunity management to new client onboarding, new client onboarding to contract renewal, and we take 
a look at the whole picture and allow clients to automate all the manual tasks that they try to do or try to get their team to do in Salesforce. It just doesn't work very well. We just make it a lot easier to do that and provide some structure and some rigor and some scalability across the organization. So what are some of these these tasks that you automate that are sort of the standard Yeah, tasks? so yeah, at the prospecting phase, it's about you know, calls and emails. You know, I got to reach out and touch somebody because we do know that, you know, from 4.4 million calls against a million accounts, the average person doesn't pick up the phone on the first dial. As a matter of fact, the average connect rate in a B2B environment is about 8% of the time. So that says 92% of the time, you got to leave a voicemail, you hang up and you try to call back another time. And you know, there's all kinds of statistics out there that say the average rep quits after one and a half or two attempts because they assume somebody's not interested. You know, what we know is people are busy. You know, if, I, if you or I responded to every voicemail that was left, we'd, we'd never get our, our day job done. And so what we do is we provide a platform at the prospecting stage that says, hey, six calls, two emails. Now we get somebody interested and they go to a demo or a discovery call or a site survey, depending upon what your call to action is. Well, I just want to step back for a second. So so you create a cadence, just yep. you know, six calls, two emails, or six emails, two calls, excuse me. Or was it six calls, two emails? It was six, it was six calls, two six emails. Six calls, two emails, sorry. <laughs> and short-term memory loss here. And so... You know what? How's that different from, let's say, the other products that are out there than supporting similar cadence type? Sure. Development. Yeah. So the the first thing is we're, we're native inside of Salesforce, so we don't integrate, which was what everybody else does. You basically map your fields, you map your lead contact account opportunity objects over to your uh, solution. We work inside of Salesforce, so it takes us about thirty minutes to bring SalesView up in a Salesforce com customer. And then because we've got a 12-year history of doing this as an outsourced B2B provider, we actually provide six of the best B2B prospecting plans as a best practice. Not that it's going to work for everybody, but the idea is let's get them to the 80th percentile better, faster, quicker. Because right now, if you're not using any sort of a tool, it's the wild, wild west. Everybody is doing things on their own. Mm-hmm. If I got 10 reps, I got 10 ways of doing it. I, got, I could have one rep who just does nothing but send emails. I could have another rep who, you know, you know, trolls LinkedIn trying to find somebody and may make 10 dials a day. And you may have somebody who's killing it, making 100 dials a day and, and moving it along. And there's no, there, there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, or vice versa, right? right? So, Yeah, I was going to say, uh, sometimes you may find people you know, doing, making 10 outreaches a day that are doing better than those making 100. So, Right. And, and so anyhow, so what we do is we, we try to leverage what we've learned over the past 12 years as a B2B provider of demand generation services. But then the next phase is, you know, as, as in my sales management career, you know, Andy Paul schedules a meeting with Merrill Lynch. First thing I want to know is, hey, Andy, how'd that meeting go? I wasn't there to join you. How'd it go? And so I'll send you an email and you'll say, oh, it went well. And but now that works well when I've got one sales rep named Andy Paul. What happens when I've got 10 sales reps and they've each got three meetings that day? So there's 30 meetings. What we allow you to do is when we schedule a meeting, it goes to a meeting stage of the sales cycle automatically from a workflow standpoint. Rep just says, I schedule a meeting. The contact automatically moves to a meeting stage. And now I give the rep a set of campaign configurable, customer configurable buckets to put that meeting outcome in. So it went well. We're going to forecast it. 
was rescheduled, got a follow-on meeting, need to talk to some other people, have a second demo, whatever. But now I, I still can leave notes. The problem is it's hard to report on notes. I can now report on the outcome. So I've gone from prospecting to meeting and I'm now reporting on the outcome of a meeting. And one of those outcomes may be new opportunity. So now I'm starting to manage further into the sales cycle. And in an opportunity stage, you know, we've got clients who say, you know, when somebody's in an opportunity stage, I don't want a rep to go four days without touching them. So they've actually got a, an opportunity management cadence that says every four days there's a touch point, whether it's a call or an email or direct mail piece or a text or whatever. They're, they're, they're routinizing the outreach to make sure that they don't get on a forecast call and say, hey, where are we at with this deal? Oh, I'm supposed to call them in two months. Well, then why are they on the forecast? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once we move to a closed one stage at the opportunity stage. We push a button, close one. Guess what? The client success team who onboards new customers, it starts their 17-step process for onboarding a new client. Send out the URL to the, the link to install our software, schedule the implementation calls, set up the activity results, schedule the rep training call. All those things that are done sometimes in Salesforce, sometimes most of the time outside of Salesforce can now be done in a cohesive, structured fashion that makes it easy for everybody in the organization to understand where every prospect and every customer is in the life cycle of being a customer. So you'd made the the comment before. Is it, I'm just envisioning this because I've only seen the product briefly uh, at, a, at a show booth. Is is um, so? Let's say a, an outcome, a particular activity. It's it's sort of a check the box type thing to say this is what the outcome was. And I'm trying to think where, and this is an interesting question, I guess, for you is, is you might think, okay, well, there's some nuanced description that needs to go along with that because, you know, this is sort of black and white. But is what you're saying is that over time, based on the number of transactions seen and so on, that that sort of nuanced description doesn't really matter? Yeah, it's a great question. And the, um, answer to that is the it's not a checkbox it's it's an activity result that's intelligent and so case in point let's 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 go back to the prospecting cycle I can pick from eight results when I reach out to a prospect left voicemail mm-hmm. call no message talk to the admin bad data uh, referral follow up or appointment as an example when I select appointment that's what's going to, so the result, and this is all part of our workflow engine, it's the sales view secret sauce, is the, work, the appointment tr- button triggers, the appointment result actually triggers the movement of that contact from the prospecting stage automatically to the appointment stage. So now I know, you know, we reached out to 100 people today, and like today, sales view scheduled seven appointments. So 100 people that we were reaching out to, seven of them moved to the appointment stage. So we're going to be doing a demo for them sometime over the next two weeks. And once they get done with the demo, my reps have a series of buckets to put the demo into that says we actually have a step between the demo and the opportunity called engage, which the reps love because what it says is the reps believe they can sell that prospect something, but they're not ready to forecast them. They might have to do a second demo, might have to do a technical mm-hmm, demo. Mm-hmm. And so one of the results is engaged. One of the other results is rescheduled. One of the questions is follow up. One of the you know results is canceled. 
you know, whatever. So now I can actually see, you know, the hundred prospects, 10 demos, 10 demos turn into four people who are engaged at the engage step, new opportunity. And it's one of the results. And that forces the rep to now, they got to forecast it. When they select new opportunity, they're saying, I'm going to sell something to this person. Or I'm going to sell something to this account. And so now I start to understand my mathematical progression through the sales cycle in real time. So it's not, you know, it's not a pivot table. It's all done via sales view with pretty cool analytics to help you understand, you know, how people are moving, what, what velocity people are moving through the sales cycle. And so then if at some point though, and this is just back to the original question is, is you might want the rep to put in a little more detail though, about let's say one of the outcomes was they had a, they had a conversation with the, the prospect. Sure. Um, so they've, they've got their bucket, but then, you know, at some point you're going to expect a little more data to go in. And, and so the, Bucket is just for reporting purposes. Just for reporting. Okay. Look it up. It's it's the high level view. So you know, hundred meetings this quarter or this month. What was the outcome? And then I can drill in. You're still leaving notes. The problem is, you know, if I've got twenty five reps and twenty five reps leaving five notes a day, that's one hundred and twenty five notes times five days a week, six hundred twenty five notes to go through and review, or call recordings. And I'm trying to look at the macro view if I'm that first line or second line manager to say, okay. What's the outcome? What is it? What's the mathematical average? If Bill Johnson has ten meetings, how many of them move to an engaged step? If Andy Paul has ten meetings, how many move to an engaged step? And are they about the same? Because if there's differences, I want to understand, you know, what the differences are. And and then it all it goes all the way through to the close one sort of scenario. Because what we're trying to manage, let's face it, the forecast is a lagging indicator. What we're trying to manage is all the leading indicators. Mm-hmm. To say. Are we going to hit our number? Do I have a problem with a rep? Do I have a rock star that I need to think about promoting because he's, he's cracked the code? And if so, how's he doing it? Yeah, no, I get that. So, yeah, your manager could actually use the, the reporting to tell them which ones to drill down on or yes. should, right? Exactly. That, that's the point. Right. We're trying to sift through 625 exactly. call notes. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, I, You'd written this article. It's a very good blog article. You talked about using Salesforce automation to create a lean sales process. And I, it was on your website. I, I liked it. And it's, it's um, sort of starts the premise that really sales leaders really don't understand their metrics. Yeah, that's a, I, I had this conversation with another person yesterday. And um, it is pretty fascinating because, you know, you and I are a couple of dinosaurs. We, you know, we go back to the days. Hey, hey. Uh, I, I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> I, I won't say that to you. Anymore. You know, before I always tell people, you know, I started selling stuff before Al Gore invented the internet and the caveman found fire. But you know, the the, the fact of the matter is, um, part of the reason why the parametric technology sales organization experienced so much success was from the top, from the CEO on down, every rep understood that they needed to do four demos a week. If you talk to any PTC alumni, they will, they'll tell you, yep, had to do four demos a week. And we had a, a very structured sales process with six key features that we talked about in every presentation we did. And nobody deviated from it. And so, you know, the metrics were pretty simple. You know, it, it, it was, and, and the math behind it was such that we knew that if we did, if a rep did four demos a week, 
we closed 25% of those customers at some point in time. Not Maybe not that week, maybe not that month, maybe not that quarter, but those people came around and bought our solution. And so, you know, the this idea of metrics and the approach to metrics managing your sales team, it's one of the discovery questions we ask when we when we show SalesView is, you know, what, what are the key metrics that you pay attention to? What key metrics do you hold your team accountable to? And when somebody says, uh, you mean besides quota, we don't really have any. We, we quickly disqualify them from, you know, a, a potential sales view customer because if we have to go educate sales leadership on the, on the value of metrics, you know, we look at it that it's probably not a good fit for us. That person may not be in that role very long. But when, that, when a company says, you know, we've got dials per day, number of meetings we're supposed to get to, number of qualified deals are supposed when they have those sort of things, it's typically a sign of a pretty well-oiled, well-run sales machine. And what we do is, you know, by automating all the manual processes and tasks in Salesforce and making it easy and then giving some pretty cool analytics, it makes it, it makes for a good fit. It's a win-win for both of us. Yeah. So you use a manufacturing metaphor, which is not unusual in sales. You got inputs and outputs uh, <laughs> that you expect to have a certain level of, of output for a certain investment of input. But interestingly, not enough sales leaders, my experience, make that connection. You know, they may even understand some of their numbers, but they don't draw that that uh, the right conclusion from starting really at the top of the funnel, straight through to the bottom. Is you know, what's what's this investment yielding me in terms of output? Exactly, and and this is the challenge in, in the sales selling environment today because. And I just put a LinkedIn, I published a post on LinkedIn a couple of days ago talking about what I call vanity metrics. And, you know, you, you and I met at the American Association of Inside Sales Sales Leadership Conference in Chicago, great event. Um, and a couple of the keynotes were done by, you know, what I would consider quasi-competitors of SalesView. And, and, and mm-hmm. in, both, in both cases, companies, they, they both talked about the best time of day to call a prospect. And, and I call that a vanity metric. It, it sounds good. How about daylight? <laughs> you know, Thursday, th- Thursday at 9 a.m. Hey, guess what? Thursday at 9 a.m. is the best time to call somebody or Tuesday at 4 p.m. Well, the last time I looked, my guys are working 50 hours a week. I don't know what I do with that data. I, I mean, Thursday at 9 a.m. And, and, and the funny thing was, one of them put up a graphic that showed the, the connect rate increased from 12% to 13%. So it increased 8%. But you're still going to 88 to 87%, you know, you're not reaching them, you know. And so I, I don't know that I'm going to structure my day around 9 a.m. on Thursday being the best time to call because, you know, I, I still got a 1 in 12 chance of reaching the end user. And so, so I, to me, as a provider of solutions and, and, and as, a, as, a, as a guy who really likes the the sales profession, I want to have actionable, accountable metrics that we can use and we can share and, and we can manage our business by. You know, if I, if I, if I see, you know, coming back to the, some of the earlier discussions, if I see a rep who's not picking up the phone and not, you know, sending any emails, not doing any activity, that, that that's pretty easy to manage, you know, and you, you hire a new rep and you say, hey, I'm expecting X number of dials per day and X number of emails, boom, pretty simple. But now I start to understand 
what's it like to say what's the conversation rate and you know we're 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 promoting this concept called the math of sales which our customers are really buying into in a big way and it's this concept of you know reps do activities they have conversations the goal of those conversations is to convert a customer into somebody who's interested and raises their hand and whether it's a new prospect or a cross-sell, upsell candidate, it's somebody who's raised their hand. And those are, those are you know, pretty easily defined metrics. What we do is we, we take and analyze what's it take to gain one conversion, how many activities, how many conversations to gain one conversion. We've got some wonderful examples, good and bad, at sales view. You know, one, we purchased a list that was bad and it was over a thousand activities and over a hundred conversations to gain one conversion. Our corporate average right now is 40 activities for four conversations for one conversion. So this purchase list was 40 times worse. It was 40 times worse. That's actionable information. We got our money back from the vendor. It was a horrible list. But as I look at various trade shows and you and I were talking about the value of various trade shows out there and events, does it make sense to go spend that kind of money there? What's the return on investment? What's the math of sales for that event versus some other events I can invest in? The AAISP event, wonderful math of sales. Great, great, great opportunity for sales view. Right. So uh, this uh, math of sales, uh, sort of based, I believe, on Vern Harnish's like cash conversion cycle, right? I mean, how long does it take a, a dollar of investment to work through your process and come back in the form of revenue and profit, uh, which it seems like there's another aspect of that, though, that I want to explore with you here is that. I don't know if you read uh, my friend Mike Weinberg's book, uh, Sales Management Simplified, came out a year ago or not quite a year ago and documents this this trend is that, you know, sales managers are sort of becoming not across the board, but I mean, a trend he sees with sales managers becoming sort of, you know, metrics jockeys as opposed to sales managers. And I see with that sometimes the danger of, of acceptance of, of outcomes or metrics that, that seem like they should surface. It should be really their focus should be to improve those. Right. I mean, one of the things that you talked about, you know, you got, uh, Four conversations out of out of forty, or four, yeah, four f- conversations out of forty outreaches, and close to one of those. Is how much time do managers spend saying, "Okay, this is sort of where we're at," but boy, this this twenty five percent close rate really is. If we could change that, that that has a huge impact on our productivity and on our cash conversion cycle and the math of our sales. I don't see enough people focusing on that. You know, it's it. it, it. I would agree with you entirely, but I think some of it, and, and so I hearken back to my, my uh, days as a VP of sales at a Primo. I had, I had two reps in the Atlanta office. One of them has gone on to superstar you know, status at Sprinkler and Origami Logic and just doing a fantastic job. And another rep um, who... I had to let go after nine months. And part of the reason why I'm so passionate about SalesView is I think if I would have had SalesView back then, um, you know, both people look the same on paper. Mm-hmm. It's the same, you know, married, 
home ownership, big burn rates. The type of guy you like, the type of guys you like to hire as a sales manager, because you know if they if they make a dollar, they're going to spend two, and if they make three, they're going to spend four, and you know they're going to be motivated. And both of them were very cut from the similar cloth, and the one guy just couldn't make it. And I was challenged as I traveled with him. I couldn't tell you if it was an activity level, if it was a conversation level, or if it was when he engaged with the customer, because I, I just couldn't decipher where the breakdown was. Because if, if, if I could figure out where the breakdown was, I'd like to feel like I could have coached him to success. But there just wasn't enough data for me. And so back to your point, yes, you, you can't just be a metric junkie. You have to use the insight to develop your team in the best manner possible. Because, you know, fundamentally, as a manager, that is your role. It's not to manage the – now, yeah, you got a quota to hit, but the goal is to build up your team and to, to continue to enhance them so everybody, you know, starts to hit their numbers in a better, faster fashion so you, they can have the opportunity to move up, you have the opportunity to move up, and you rock and roll. Yeah. Well, and it's sort of one last question I want to ask you before we move on to the last segment of the show. And it's, it's something I find very curious is that, see, I think that we look at sales productivity all wrong. And so, you know, productivity as it's typically defined in economic senses is a, a unit of output produced by a unit of input. And so we know, for instance, economically, how many dollars are produced through one labor, average labor hour and so on. Yet we never seem to have this idea about how much revenue we're producing per unit of time. <laughs> That's a great, 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 great point. In, in sales. <laughs> yep. And so I hearken back to earlier in my career, I, I worked in an environment where uh, had a defense component to it, so we had to track on the, even on our commercial side. We had to track everybody's time, including my sales reps. And so I knew by prospect how much time they're spending, and how much time we were investing in terms of our sales hours to bring a deal from initial point of interest to close. And so I'm just curious because you know you've you know, obviously thought about this deeply and, and a lot is. Why aren't we looking at sales that way? I mean, you're talking about automatically capturing information, right? Yep. To me, that, that time element is the one that we should be capturing because that ultimately is productivity. I mean, at the end of the day, it's how much revenue can you produce per hour of sales investment that dictates your, your, the top end of your, your productivity capability. You know, that's a uh, fascinating question, fascinating point. I wish I had a, an answer for you. Um, I don't. I think part of the, you know, part of the challenge is, you know, there's there's still a fair amount of sales management who uh, just looks at the numbers and says, you know, hey, as long as these guys are hitting their quote, I don't really care how they get there. Um, yeah. Right. Exactly. And and I think. I think that's that that's going to change over time, but you still got that 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 that's the inherent problem is because I I agree with you. We, we we talk about the fact that if any other functional area in a business, in a manufacturing business, in a healthcare business, in a retail business, operated the way the sales function did, 
every one of those companies would be out of business. Oh, of course. And part of the problem really is is that we we spend a disproportionate amount of our focus, especially more so now with the movement toward inside sales, focused on quantity of activities at the top of the funnel. As opposed to saying, well, that's great. You know, we want to have that focus. But once we have a prospect that's identified and qualified, what are we doing to really help that prospect make a decision more quickly with less investment of their time and less investment of our time? You're right. You can think about that. You'll have your back. We'll talk about it some more. Got some standard questions now we're going to ask. Ask all my guests. The first one is a hypothetical scenario. In the scenario, you, Bill, have just been hired as a new VP of sales at a company whose sales have sort of stalled out. And CEO and the board are anxious for you to start putting in place the processes to get that turned around. So question is, what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? I think the, the first thing I'm going to do is and I've done this in the past, is sit down with every rep one-on-one and say, what's our value proposition? What's the, what's the elevator pitch? You got, you got 30 seconds to tell me what it is we do because inevitably, um, if I talk to 10 reps and I get 10 different messages, that's the inherent problem. Mm. And if I talk to 10 reps and, and it's a feature-based statement, there's no value associated with the, you know, the discussion. Because um, I always tell people, people are going to remember three things at a max. You know, when you have that 30 second. And what are the three things you want to remember? You mm-hmm. know? Am I going to double my sales team's productivity? Am I going to help you make your quote? You know, what, what is it? And then... The second thing I'm go- I'm going to try and understand is is what metrics do we have available from our customer base and does anybody know about them? Because I think um, coming back to people remember three things. If I tell you, you know, you're you're working at Qualcomm and I tell you that you know Motorola reduced their cycle design cycle time by 38 percent by using our chips, and you're in the cell phone business, you're going to remember that. But you know, maybe people, you know, does anybody else know that? Right. And so I want to, so I want to understand what, what people believe the value proposition is. And then I want to understand from our customers, assuming it's not a new product launch that has no customers, but I want to understand what our customers would say if they, you know, were, were approached in terms mm-hmm. of what they're achieving. And I think that would give me a, a place to start. Okay. Good answer. All right. So now I've got some shorter or questions with shorter answers required coming up. You can give one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you, Bill Johnson, are out selling. What's your most powerful sales attribute? I think the uh, I think the understanding of the first point. I understand a value proposition and being able to listen to a customer in terms of what their points of pain are, what they're what they're challenged with. And being able to convey my message back to them in, a, in such a, a manner that they get that we can help them. Okay. Perfect. Who's your sales role model? The peer group I work with at Parametric Technology because they've all gone on to really big jobs. You know, Brian Halligan's running HubSpot. Jim Baum sold uh, 
this is a database company that got acquired by, I mean, Kirk Bowman's at Excel Partners, mm-hmm. you know, John True's retired now. So that peer group, you know, I had the, I had a really great opportunity to work with a bunch of guys that, you know, we kicked ass and took names and it was fun. You know, we, we, we put five companies that were doing two and a half billion in revenue out of business and went on to dominate that industry. So that's, that's the peer group I look up to. It's okay. Group great answer. What's one book that every salesperson should read? Uh, the, you know, there's a there's a bunch of good ones right right now. Mm-hmm. I would I'm going to go back in time to a uh, um, an offering that you and I are familiar with, but I guarantee there's a single millennial that's heard of it. it it's selling to Vito, <laughs> Tony Perianello. It's uh, we've seen. We've seen a tremendous so amount. So people understand, Vito staying for a very important top officer. Exactly. It's just a different approach to from the, hey, let's send 100 emails to these guys and see if they engage. It, it, you know, direct mail, it's, it's, a, it's a process-based approach to sales. But, man, it's, it's, it's kind of going back and taking a step back in time, but it's working in this economy. Okay, good suggestion. So last question for you. This is always a tough one for people. Is what, uh, what music's on your playlist right now? Oh, all the good stuff from the 70s and 80s. Aerosmith, The Who, um, Eagles. <laughs> it's all the stuff, all stuff my kids even like listening to. Oh, sure. It's good music. <laughs> Doesn't matter where, what generation it came from. That's good. Well, great. Well, Bill, thanks for joining me. Uh, tell folks how they can find out more about SalesView. Um, they can... Hit us up on our website, www.salesview.com. Feel free to link to me on, on LinkedIn. It's, uh, I, I try to be a little provocative with some of my posts and, and, and cause you to think a little bit. But the, the end game is, as somebody asked me the other day, what, what differentiates you from everybody else? I said, we wake up every morning thinking about how can we help salespeople sell more. That's great. Yeah, that's a great, great approach to have. So, Bill, thanks for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Andy. I certainly appreciate it. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate part of your daily routine, whether you're listening on your commute, in the gym, or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Bill Johnson, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.